this morning we're, uh, we're beginning a new series, and our new series is called God's Story, Our Story. And uh, this series is really all about um, getting you uh, into the Bible. Okay, so for some of you who, who are regular Bible readers, you'll, um, this will be a time to celebrate, um, to celebrate the, um, the Word. And for, for those of you who are, who are, who are saying, yeah, you know, I, I just find it so hard to get into. I, I, I don't have a habit of, of reading scripture. Um, this is for you as well, because I, I hope that, um, that through our messages, through, through this series, um, you'll be given some insights and, and be able to, um, to just take, um, to take this book into you and to make it, um, make it rich and make it, um, enrich in your faith. So this morning we, we've just heard this, Strange, uh, strange story from Ezekiel chapter three, where uh, a voice from heaven tells Ezekiel, "Son of man, eat what you see. Eat this book, then go and speak to the family of Israel." It's a strange phrase, isn't it? Um, to to eat a book. <laughs> um, most of the time, we think of reading a book, right? Not not eating one, but eat the book. The voice from heaven tells Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel was among the Jewish exiles, um, and so they were at this time of huge faith crisis, where um, it was kind of like a, their major low point in their history. Um, they had been overrun by a bigger people, uh, a bigger empire, and their cities had been destroyed. Their temple in Jerusalem was gone. And they were captives, they were slaves, and they'd been brought across to Babylon. So you could imagine for them, they were thinking, where, where is God? Um, is, he, is he not as powerful as the Babylonian gods? Is he gone? Is he faithful to us? What about those promises that he's given us? Is he going to keep them, or are we just lost forever? And so Ezekiel, at the very start of the book, he has, there's this wonderful and strange vision that he has. And the vision is of a throne on wheels coming across the desert. And it's, it's God's throne in all his glory. And so you, you kind of, um, it's like even just in that picture, God's saying, I'm not done with you yet, people of Israel. And, uh, and so what's interesting is this part where Ezekiel is given this book or these scrolls and told to eat them. He eats it, he devours it, and it tastes sweet, and it sustains him for the difficult work that God's giving him ahead. And then he's given that task. Get all these words that I'm giving you inside you. Listen to them obediently. Make them your own. And now go go to the exiles, your people, and speak. And I reckon as Christians, we're all called to eat this book. We're called to get it inside us, to listen to it obediently, to make it our own, and then to go go into the world and speak. And that, that's, that's really um, what, our, what our series is about. It's about encouraging you to, to do that, to see that as, um, as really what it means to be a Christian. I've been, uh, I feel like I've been extraordinarily blessed in my life to have been introduced to the Bible from the get-go, from, from just little baby. Um, although I wasn't a big reader as a kid, and some of you might, might go, yeah, I'm not a big reader either, 
I've always had an insatiable appetite for the Bible. I've read it, I've reread it again and again all my life, and it's really been God's gift to me. Um, it reveals who God is, and God invites me in to encounter him. And so as, as I've learned to read scripture, I've learned also to put my trust in God, and he's directed my life and provided for me. And, and my, I really hope that that's something that we can all bear witness to in our lives. Last week, Paul Cameron, who's the former CEO of Churches of Christ, Vic Taz, so he's a bit of a big wig, you know, um, he spoke um, to us and part of his message was encouraging us to see ourselves as what he called people of the book. People of the book. I wonder what that means to you, people of the book. Well, it's a statement of identity, isn't it? Um, it's saying that at the heart of who we are as Christians, the heart of who we are is held in this book, in the Bible. Now, being people of the book doesn't mean that we sit around all day um, reading. Bible study is, is not an end in itself, but it's more like a launching pad to spring us into encountering God. Um, I've learned through eating this book, the Bible, that God is reaching out to us. God is interested in relationship with us and, and he spurs us on um, in our lives. All right, so the aim of this series is actually to inspire hunger in you to read God's word for yourselves. And if you're already reading it, um, to just, there's always more, all right? So hunger is normal, right? Um, if, if I've lost my appetite, it's usually a sign that I'm, I'm, maybe I'm sick. And I reckon a lack of spiritual hunger is the same. It's, it's a sign that there's something wrong. Now, our bodies get hungry by not eating, but our spirits get hungry by eating. All right, I'll say that again. Our bodies get hungry by not eating, but our spirits get hungry by eating. So I, I want to feed you trusting that if you eat, you'll become hungrier and hungrier for God's word and for God in your life. All right? How are we all feeling? On board? Good. All right. Now, for many of us in our daily lives, we're not in the habit of reading the Bible. We don't read it because we struggle to understand it. Maybe we've given, a, given it a try and you've just thought, I don't know where to start. And I don't blame you in, in some ways because at first glance, to the uninitiated, the Bible can be intimidating. Uh, it's, it's a library of ancient books, of history, poetry, rituals, philosophy, biography, prophecy. And sometimes you're kind of reading it and you think, what's holding this together? Is it, it seems like it's only held together by the binder's glue. And that's it, because you just can't make head or tails of it. Now, um, altogether, it covers also a huge amount of material covering a time of approximately 2,000 years, depending on where you, where you sort of, um, how you work things out. But from, from Abraham, who's maybe around 1800 BC, right through to the early Christian church in the first couple of centuries um, after Christ. And so it seems... Um, it seems a familiar book to us because it, it has been a core influence on Western culture, 
for over a thousand years, but it's also an ancient document. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Bible, I understand it can be pretty hard to get into. So today what I want to do is just um, as a way of introduction to this series is to talk about how do we make the Bible come alive, all right? So I've just got three, three different points to give you for this. How, how can we make the Bible come alive for us? Now, the ancient um, rabbis of, of Israel, they used to teach their people to see scriptures like a palace. And I reckon this is a good idea. Okay, so see, see the scriptures as a palace alive and bustling, full of grand halls, banquet rooms, secret passages and locked doors. And the adventure lies in learning the secrets of the palace, unlocking the doors and even catching glimpses of the king in all his splendor. So we need to spend some time in there. And the first thing that you'll begin to see is that there's, a, there's actually a single plot line that ties everything together. So I want to introduce that to you this morning, um, the, the grand story of, of God's story, all right, which stretches from creation to new creation. And this is, this is what God's story is. So as we read scripture, there's all sorts of different types of writing. There's all sorts of different bits and pieces. But if you understand the grand story, you'll, you'll, get, you'll get it. You'll, you'll be able to um, open the scriptures and go, oh, this is where I'm up to in the big picture. So let me just quickly run you through the plot, all right? Um, and I've, I've done it in six parts. So the first part is creation. Creation answers the big questions of who am I, what am I made for, and, and who, who is God? And the, the answers to those questions is that God made all things good. And God made us to be like him. He made us in his image in order that we can relate to him. So we're made to be in relationship with God. He also made us with a self-awareness. So we, we have, we have a, a broader self-awareness than any other living thing. He made us for relationship with each other. And he made us to work and tend to all of life, to all of creation, like a gardener would tend her garden. And so, so we, we begin with creation. God is our creator. We are the created and we're made for relationship with him. Then um, the plot continues. And we're not really given all the details on this. There's mystery. But the Bible speaks of sin. And sin is the Bible's way of describing our human condition, our deep experience that all is not well in life. So God's good creation has been corrupted because human beings have rejected God and sought to live on their own terms. So creation is no longer relating in harmony. And even if you don't know the Bible too well, we all experience that in our lives, don't we? We, we all experience that sense of not everything is right in the world and, um, and we all have, we suffer and our sufferings often bring further confusion and so there's a sense often of being stuck, of being lost in this labyrinth of sin. This is where it gets really interesting and exciting because 
the, the Bible's message to us is that God does not give up on us. God does not give up on his creation. He doesn't say, oh, see you later, it's, it's too hard. In fact, God in his love and grace, he makes a way for our rescue. God is in the business of bringing back to him, bringing us back to him and to fullness and to blessing. And so central to the story of the Old Testament and the plot line of the whole Bible is that God starts with one couple in history, with Abraham and Sarah, to begin his plan to undo the sin and its effect on the world. This relationship that God makes with Abraham and Sarah and his choosing of of the people of Israel was made precisely to carry forward his plan for the blessing of all nations. The promises to Abraham and his family were the start of God's plan for reclaiming and renewing the entire world. So when you get to, to a point in the Bible when you're reading along and you go, wait a minute, why am I reading ancient Jewish history? You know, it can seem strange. Um, You can think, of all the things, why am I reading this? But it's because God gets involved in the details of history and he chose the people of Israel um, to be the the ones through, through which he was going to bring his renewal to the world. So whenever you get to a point where you're going, oh, this is a bit strange and I don't get why we're even reading this, that's, that's the reason. Um, and so while the, the other thing that's interesting is while the people of Israel lived in completely different times, you know, almost, you could say, you know, 3,000, 3,500 years ago, they, they're not that different to us. And it's actually surprising how relatable their experience are to us. As they encounter God in their mess, we learn not only their story, but we also learn about ourselves and we learn more about who God is and how God can be encountered in our mess. The Old Testament draws to a close with Israel back from their exile, back to Jerusalem. But in a way, they were still in exile. They were still kind of swallowed up by all these other empires um, that, that that were taking over the world at the time. And so the Old Testament kind of ends in search of an ending. It, it doesn't really have, a, have an ending. And, and so it, it ends with this question, how on earth is God going to use this people who've been so stiff-necked, so obstinate, so challenging, so unfaithful, how is he going to use them to bless all the nations as he promised? Has he given up? What's going to happen? And the climax of this story for us is the New Testament. It is Jesus. It comes with Jesus. In Jesus' coming, God does a most surprising and wonderful thing. God himself comes to be one of us. God comes among his people to live with us. So through Jesus, we, we see how to live. And sin is shown up for, for its, and it's found wanting. And the power of God's love is on full display for us. So through Jesus' life and through his death and his resurrection, we, we experience, as promised, God's blessing. And God's, uh, we're invited into a new relationship with God. And so as 
people of the gospel, we are no longer orphans. We are fathered. We're no longer um, aimless. We're following Jesus. We're no longer empty. We're filled with God's spirit. And so God has well and truly embraced us. And the era of the church, which is the next bit, the church sees the people of God living in the light of Easter by seeking to anticipate as much as possible in the here and now God's ultimate restoring of everything. So we're, we're looking forward to God completing his restoring work and, and we're anticipating it so we're trying to make it happen as much as we can in the here and now. And this is, grand, is God's grand story and it's all leading towards the new creation the time where, where, where God will, f- will fulfill his promises. What a beautiful story. What a great story. This is God's grand story. And each book of the Bible fits somewhere into that story and it weaves in different themes and colours to make a beautiful tapestry. We don't get very far when we go to the Bible if we just go to it just to meet our demands. Um, That would be putting ourselves and our own interests at the centre of the story, which is one of the traps that we must learn to avoid if we're going to engage with the Bible with integrity and care. So we don't just go to it and it's all about me and what's it going to say to me? It's, It's actually all about this grand story. So let it speak to you in the context of this grand story. And what you'll find is that um, as that story becomes clear, we're not only helped to read and to understand the Bible, but we're invited into that story to put our trust in him and God begins shaping our lives. And you know, when I, when I read an Old Testament story and it's strange and there's some strange character, I still I feel a connection. I feel like that, you know, that Gideon or that guy Ezekiel, Sure, he lived in a completely different time, but he, he feels like a brother because, or, or she feels like a sister because of, of our connection as being part of God's grand story. So that's my, my first point is, is that we need to embrace that grand story, be invited into it, and that's, that's how the Bible comes alive. Second, my second point is that how can we make the Bible come alive? Embrace that all scripture is inspired by God. All right. So our second reading this morning was 2 Timothy um, chapter 3. And verse 16 says this. It says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so when, um, when the writer of 2 Timothy um, wrote this, it was written in Greek, and he, he made his own Greek word um, in here, theonoustos, okay? And what he did was he combined the word for God and the, and the word for breathe out and stuck them together. And so he then says, all scripture is God-breathed. All right? All scripture is God-breathed. In other words, inspired by God. Now, when we say that the Bible is God's inspired word, you know, we call it God's word. 
we're not saying that it's a fax from heaven, all right? There was never a time where someone just went, um, you know, and then, and then there it came, straight from, from heaven. Um, there's the Bible, okay? So when we're talking about inspiration, we're not suggesting that there was some divine voice sort of dictating to a scribe. So someone went to write and then all of a sudden God's just writing for them and they're not and they're in some sort of catatonic, you know, space. That that's not what we're suggesting. It's more of a collaborative process. Um, it's like a holy give and take between big C creator, God, and little C creator, the person who's the author. So the Bible, it's both a collection of works by human hands and also words through which God chooses to reveal himself to us. When we accept the Bible as God's word, we're saying that God has revealed himself to human beings and continues to reveal himself through this book, through its songs, its prayers, its histories, its stories, through every every part of it. Now, this rings true for me in how I understand God. Because at the heart of the gospel message is this story of a God who won't give up on us. And he stoops to meet us. He stoops down to meet us, even to the point of death on a cross. And so some people would say, oh, the Bible's, you know, like, how can it be the word of God? But I I say that dignified or not, believable or not, ours is a God who does everything to take Um, everything it takes, sorry, to convince us that we are seen and loved. And it's hardly beneath God to speak to us through Scripture, through the words of of others who've experienced God through history. This this to me is who God is. This is what God does. He's always stooping to meet us at our level. And so when I read the Bible, I, I love that it's the Word of God. And I love that it's written by people, everyday people, um, who, who experience God. I don't want a fax from heaven. I, I love this. When we trust that the Bible is God's unique revelation to us, it, it changes it. Because it allows, um, we, we kind of allow it to have an authority over us. It becomes our reference point. It becomes our source of strength, our place of prayer, and our rope in the blizzard. Um, I watched a documentary recently about people who um, who are scientists and they have to go to Antarctica and live there through the winter. And, and sometimes the blizzard is so bad there that if you take a few steps away outside from the building, you can get lost and you can die like 10 metres from, from your warm, um, warm room. And so they have this whole system of ropes and you'd, you'd never let go of the rope if, if you're outside. And I, I, think of, I think of the Bible like that. It's, um, it's, our, it's my, my reference point, my strength, my place of prayer, my rope in the blizzard. It guides me. It hems me in sometimes. But ultimately, it's a liberating story, and it liberates me. God is inviting us, as he invited the Israelites in the wilderness, to choose life. He says, choose me, choose life. And that's what I, what I do. I, I choose the Bible um, as God's inspired word because I trust that it's liberating for me. What this also means, the fact that it's God's word, is that 
we don't just interpret the book. You know how, like when you go to a book, especially one that's from, from another time, there's some interpretation needing doing. You know, you, you, you have a look and you, you, you're trying to work out what it means. But the Bible also interprets us. So God is actually looking at our lives as we're looking at the Bible and trying to understand what it means. And God's shaping us. Maybe he's going to convict us on something or maybe he's going to encourage us into a certain area. And where the Bible, when we read it and the Bible seems out of touch with the spirit of our age, we don't just go with the flow of our society. Instead, we say, God, what, do you, what are you requiring of me? Um, what's God honoring here? You know, um, and so the Bible becomes that reference point for us. My journey to loving the Bible has been in sitting with the tensions um, that, are, that are there, not trying to smooth things over and make everything just really easy. So the Bible, it's not your go-to quick answer book for life's questions. The Bible's not written to be like that. It's, it's no good trying to force the Bible to be something that it's not. The Bible often leads me just to sit in the tensions of what's going on in my life. So, you know, things like speak the truth in love. And I go, oh, how, how, do, I, how do I balance that? How do I speak the truth? But, but how do I do that in love? And so I, I sit in that tension and that, and that guides me and it, and it helps me. And I ask God for, for leading. Um, love your enemies. That's another one. How, how do I do that? What do I do when... When my neighbor actually, you know, steals stuff from me, how am I supposed to love him? Um, forgiveness. Yeah, it sounds easy, but, but it's really not. Grace and works. Um, just like Pat talked about this morning. What, what's, how do I sit in that tension? Um, and so we're, we're always in those spaces and we're discerning what God wants to say to us. And it invites us to humbly enter into it, to ask, to wrestle, to plead, to praise, and ultimately to trust. So we shouldn't expect that every encounter with the Bible will leave us, you know, just happily awestruck and enlightened, okay? Um, it takes patience and it takes practice, but it means also showing up when you don't feel like it um, and even when you feel that maybe God isn't there. But I, I encourage you that the Bible is both inspired and inspiring. And our job is really just to ready the sails and allow God's breath to, to come into it. If you're curious, you'll not leave the book without learning something new. And if you're persistent, you will get to know God's voice. All right, my last point today for how to make the Bible come alive is to let, let, it, um, let God... Um, uh, I'll just say what's here rather than, okay. Embrace the difference that God is working in you, all right? Embrace the difference that God is working in you. The Bible's influence on our world is, is indisputable. Like really, Western society has been soaked in it for many, many centuries. And yet, it's also indisputable that its influence has definitely been on the wane for many, uh, many decades, okay? People are less and less um, interested in the Bible and less and less using it as their reference point. And so today's 
today's world, the Bible conjures up all sorts of responses. Um, in fact, usually there's an awkwardness if you bring it up you know, in a public space. Some people might find it controversial, confounding, and even oppressive, while others are really liberated by its message. Some will find it full of spiritual wisdom, and others will say it's irrational. Some, for some, it's become out of touch and irrelevant, while for others, it's timeless. And so the Bible is both a stumbling block and it's the good news of God's salvation. And the temptation for us in our day is to react to the negative press that we're getting by others um, and, and usually we'll react in two, one of two ways. We'll either accommodate, accommodate more and more to secular culture. Okay, okay I, won't, I won't focus so much on, on this. I'll just get a bit closer to secular culture because that, that makes it easier for me to live. Or we, we withdraw from culture and we go, no, nah, I'm, 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 I'm having my holy huddle over here because everything's going pear-shaped out there. And either way, if you choose either one of those options, your faith falters. Um, and I want us as a Christian community to be confident as people of the book, whatever place we find ourselves, um, whether we're on the margins of society or whether we're in the middle and everybody loves us or anywhere in between, um, we can be confident in our identity when it's grounded in the biblical story. Because then whatever's happening around us, whatever people, however people respond or don't respond, we don't have to react to them out of fear and dread. But instead we can act positively and just keep practicing the love of God and the love of our neighbor. Um, and in this way, we'll be able to promote human flourishing and promote the common good in our distinctive way. And so I, I say embrace the difference that God is working in you. Embrace our difference in this way. And, and I think we will reacquire that vibrancy and confidence that we see in the early church when we read in Acts. Those, that early church, they had no influence in their world. They had no say about how things were going to be set up in their society and yet, look at the confidence that they had, the story in God's story. So just to conclude, the Bible comes alive when we read it through the lens of God's grand story. And we recognize that we're invited into it. The Bible comes alive when we embrace that it's God-breathed. We find ourselves not only interpreting scripture, but being interpreted and shaped by God which is a wonderful thing. And lastly, the Bible comes alive when we live it out with confidence, whatever's going on around us, embracing our difference as God's gift as we practice the love of God and the love of neighbor. I'm going to invite you uh, just to, to spend some time in response to the message this morning. And um, I've got a couple of questions which are up on the, on the screen don't feel you have to answer them all. Just um, let it sort of um, let them, you know, sit in your mind, and um, and then I encourage you to grab your response cards and and to write down um, what your response is this morning. So the questions I've I've got here are: Have you found it hard to read the Bible regularly? Why and why not? Okay, um, pretty easy one to uh, to ask. 
next one is what what has God been saying to you this morning? Okay, just try and try and get a sense of what God's been saying through through this um, this time of worship. And lastly, um, how will you respond this week? It's always good to to have a concrete response um, that you can go away with, so that you can grow. All right, I'm going to leave you um, just to to spend some time in response.